0: Hey podcast listeners, Jonathan here. Before we begin the episode, there's just one quick note I want to make. This week, Rachel was away presenting at a conference, and when she recorded her side of the audio, we ended up picking up quite a bit of sound from the air conditioner in the hotel room. We tried to clean it up a little bit, but it's going to be pretty persistent throughout the episode, so we apologize for the audio difficulties and hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Access Ninja Podcast. Today's episode accessibility news update and emojis. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. My name is Jonathan Campbell. I'm here along with Rachel Magario. Hey Rachel.
1: Hey Jonathan.
0: How are you doing today?
1: I am doing great. Tired, but great. Really excited. I am talking to you guys today from Milwaukee, Wisconsin.
0: I know you've been doing a bit of traveling lately, so uh, thank you for uh, taking the time out to uh, record the podcast with us.
1: Yes, of course. Accessibility first.
0: Well, there's two things that we wanted to discuss today. Uh, There's been some somewhat recent news about... uh, some statements that the National Federation for the Blind made in relation to uh, Apple and iOS accessibility. We're going to talk about exactly what was said and kind of discuss uh, what it means. Uh, there's been a lot of, I don't think a lot of people have understood exactly what's been going on and there's been some misunderstanding. So maybe we'll clarify some stuff, uh, discuss the issue a little bit and uh, make, make make it a little bit more clear for some people. And then we're going to talk about something fun uh, and that is uh, emoji emoji. Uh, Emoji being a picture-based font uh, that has smiley faces and presents and pictures of directions and all these different things that came from Japan, and we'll talk about uh, how emoji is interpreted different from one device to another and how a screen reader or anybody using text-to-speech is going to experience emoji different from uh, anybody who's just looking at the symbols, which I think is particularly interesting. So. Well, why not we jump uh, right into uh, the statements uh, from the National Federation for the Blind. Does that sound good to you?
1: Sounds great to me.
0: A couple, uh, let's see, back in July, uh, the National Federation for the Blind uh, was having uh, their big yearly meeting, and they passed a new resolution.
1: It's called convention, Jonathan.
0: Convention, thank you. Uh, <laughs> And uh, during their convention, uh, their board voted on some new resolutions that was for, uh, for their upcoming agenda uh, in regards to uh, what the issues they should be uh, looking into and investigating. And Apple came up and there is a resolution specifically uh, regarding uh, iOS. And from that article that was written, uh, there was an, another article that came out that was written by Reuters uh, that was, uh, I want to, you, you know me, Rachel, I'm usually kind when I word these things, but it was maybe not very accurate or didn't depict things in uh, a way that was accurate for Apple's accessibility. I'm being well, kind of vague. But,
1: journalism yeah. though, right?
0: So. <laughs> I know I'm being vague right now, but I actually have uh, the exact resolution uh, in front of me right now, and uh, I'm actually going to, uh, well, I'm going to go ahead, it's not too long, I'm actually just going to go ahead and read it. And this is exactly what the resolution uh, that was uh, passed by the National Federation for the Blind. So it was called, it's resolution 12 regarding policies, standards, and procedures to ensure and maintain accessibility of Apple Inc. apps. And it says, Whereas Apple Inc. has made VoiceOver a free and powerful screen access program an integral part of many of its products, including the Apple Inc. Macintosh, iPhone, iPod Touch, Apple Inc. TV, and iPad, and... Whereas, although voiceover has the ability to enable non-visual access to hundreds of thousands of applications that are available today through these platforms, such access cannot be achieved unless the applications are written to provide voiceover with the information it needs to tell the blind user what he or she needs to know. And, whereas, through presentations at developer conferences, specific guidance issued in programming guides, and application programming interfaces that are simple to implement, Apple Inc. has made it easy for application developers to incorporate accessibility features for voiceover users into their programs. And, whereas, despite Apple Inc.'s efforts to encourage accessibility, Too many applications are still not accessible to VoiceOver users because buttons are not properly labeled, images of text cannot be interpreted, and other display elements cannot be detected by VoiceOver. And whereas, although Apple Inc. has given VoiceOver users the tools to assign labels and unlabeled elements on their own, a growing number of applications that have been released cannot be made accessible using these tools. And whereas even in the current version of an applicate oh excuse me whereas even if the current version of an application is accessible to a blind voiceover user, Apple Inc has no policy, procedure or mechanism in place to ensure that this accessibility will be maintained when a subsequent subsequent version is released. And whereas Not only are inaccessible applications inconvenient for the blind voiceover user, they can also prevent a blind user from independently performing the duties of his or her job. And, whereas, Apple Inc. is not reluctant to place requirements and prohibitions on application developers, but has not seen fit to require that applications be accessible to voiceover users. And, whereas, Making products accessible to users of voiceover should be as important as any other requirement imposed on application developers now, therefore, be it resolved by the National Federation of the Blind and Convention assembled this 5th of July 2014 in the City of Orlando, Florida, that this organization call upon Apple Inc. to work with the National Federation of the Blind to create and enforce policies standards, and procedures to ensure the accessibility of all apps, including core apps distributed by Apple, in the base iOS distribution, and ensure that accessibility is not lost when an app is updated. Okay, so that was longer than I thought when I started.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to start snoring here.
0: I know, but I thought it was important <laughs> because it brings up several issues, and, and it makes a specific resolution, and we're going to talk about uh, this resolution, but... Now that, we, now that we've now we read that resolution, before we comment on it, I want to talk about this uh, Reuters article real quick, if that's okay, Rachel, and then I'll, then I'll let you pipe in. I know you're probably chomping at the bit to jump in here. Uh, so Reuters wrote an article uh, titled, Advocates for Blind Deaf Want More from Apple. And um, the article has a couple statements in it. It originally stated incorrectly that the National Federation for the Blind federal filed a lawsuit against Apple in 2008 regarding accessibility of iTunes. Uh, that is not true. They didn't actually file. Uh, they did write a demand letter to Apple uh, in regards to it. Yeah, but was it
1: was settled outside of the court.
0: Now, the Massa- Attorney General of Massachusetts was investigating uh, accessibility issues in iTunes, but there wasn't an actual, there was no legal proceedings. Uh, right, correct. Apple did pay uh, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars uh and add caption and accessibility improvements to itunes as a result of that um that interaction
1: yeah, settlement. yeah. So it's not like a like a settlement no. but but similar
0: so this article talked now they've since changed the article they they updated it to reflect that you know there there wasn't an actual um court filing in that respects. Um, but the issue with the article um, was that it inferred that, that Apple has, is really been failing in accessibility. And we just had a whole episode on kind of some of the really cool accessibility features. And specifically they chose a quote. And I remember, if you remember on our last episode, I quoted Steve jobs because he had this really inspirational quote. And uh, the quote that the writer's article has is uh, that Tim Cook uh, said in his 20, 2013 speech at Auburn University, said, quote, in a struggle to have their human dignity acknowledged, they're frequently left in the shadows of technological advancements that are a source of empowerment and attainment for others. And then it ends. That's the end of the quote. And it's a, a, a really gross misrepresentation of that quote, if you remember. Yeah,
1: it's like a total distortion of what he really meant.
0: It makes it look like Tim Cook understands that uh, people with disabilities struggle to have their dignity acknowledged by technology, and then that's it—that like that, like he knows that, and so this is not acceptable for for these sort of accessibility issues that Reuters is talking about. But then he goes on to talk about how it's an unacceptable reality that Apple engineers are pushing against and the importance that they hold of accessibility. So it's just kind of it—it was—it caused a lot of noise and. Uh, in fact, so much so that um, that the President of the National Federation for the Blind wrote an whole entire article uh, trying to clarify that uh, Apple is the industry standard in accessibility in mobile in the mobile platform, and that uh, they have uh, done more than anybody else has. And that their intent with this resolution was, not to call them out as being a a company that doesn't care about accessibility.
1: I think, you know, I just came, as you know, from the OSCON conference, which is the open source conference put by O'Reilly Media in Portland. And, you know, I spent this whole week with a bunch of developers and designers and community managers, and it was so exciting and so open. But what we were discussing about a lot this week was about, you know, communities a lot of times just start fighting one over the other. And and Tim O'Reilly said, we should never be in shouting. If we're shouting, then we're having a problem, right? And that's never going to yield us any any progress. And I, I sort of like, totally agree because Tim O'Reilly is like this super positive guy. And he made like amazing stuff, right? With 500 bucks, he started his company. And what's happening now is, I feel that in the world of accessibility, there's this discussion, but it's almost like a shouting match because people are always trying to, I'm not saying we don't have to improve. Yeah, of course we have to improve and we have to ensure Uh, apps, um, you know, accessibility and so on. But I feel that it becomes like this, you know, like this shouting, like this demand, like we have to. But why don't we step back for a second and ask developers why? You know, why are developers not taking advantage of the accessibility features, right? I mean, why, why is that? And if we really look at it, it's because accessibility is crazy difficult. So pe- developers are used to having to read all this WC3 and have to go through tons and tons of documentation and still not understand what they have to do. So yes, Apple is making all these accessibility features and APIs a lot easier. So, but there's still there's still that education gap right there and that awareness and it's. I really don't think we're gonna solve it with a law. I don't think law is the the key here. It's not like a list of rules, and I say to you as a blind person to a developer, for example, okay, you gotta do X, Y, and Z, and that's what you have to do. I really think we need to step back and think about accessibility from a standpoint of, you know, here is what you can do, and, here's why you should do and here's maybe here's how it could help you and then and then go from there instead of this kind of shouting I think that's the way I feel sometimes and you know me we work together you know how frustrated I get you know when I try to open a document that was shared with me through I don't know Microsoft office 365 and i say screen readers click here and then i click on it and it's like an image pdf you know i just almost want to grab my head and like throw it on the screen but shouting is not going to solve my problem
0: i i think that one of the possible solutions to this because this this resolution brings up some really really good points and some really great great issues in regards to accessibility, accessibility, I mean, should be more integrated into the design process itself and, uh, and integrated the same way you would, you would, you would teach when you're designing, You when you're teaching someone how to design a user interface, accessibility should be taught there. And there's this tendency that we teach user interface design and then afterwards we, we teach accessibility, like how do we take that UI element and make it accessible, right? It's like after the fact, right? It's not part of that process, which is where it really belongs.
1: Well, that's what it was, you know, that's what my lecture was all about on Sunday. It's we cannot expect accessibility to work out if you do it as an add-on. And my kudos to NFB and for them to keep track of this stuff and writing all those resolutions. But what we really need is methods like accessibility experience and we need to be able to start using this ahead of time let's think ahead of time i actually uh was talking to a company that i I shall uh, leave anonymous because i don't want to burn them yet (laughs) but you know i came up to them and i say it's great stuff you guys are doing and i said i check your accessibility it's not working out i said how about you know can we sit and talk about it. And then they turned around to me and just said, Oh, well, you know, we're looking into it, but we're a startup and uh, we're still on the start. And I told them, Well, this is the time then. It's not later on. It's not later on when you have billions of customers and you're already rolling. That's not the time to come in with accessibility and correct it. Your time is not after you have a bunch of blind people frustrated with you trying to use your product. Plus, I told them accessibility is not about just screen reader users. It's about any assistive technology user. It's about, you know, it's about people that have, they're on the spectrum and and could use some better UIs or user interfaces. And we're talking about them. I mean, right now we're, what, one every 68 people in the U.S. have some kind of... uh, you know, during the autism spectrum. So, guys, this is not, this is not uh, just a little tiny piece of your pie. That's just, you know, one in every four on your market.
0: Well, give me, I, I want to sell this to everybody here. I've got, I want to really sell this for a moment. And I think that at some point, everybody in their life is going to be someone using an accessibility feature if you live to a nice old age. Everybody is. Everybody's going to start losing hearing and sight. It's about getting older. People are living so long now. But from a design standpoint, why accessibility should be a design standpoint is that uh, Apple already has a feature on the iPad that I know a lot of people are using, which is to simply, you can override the default font size and change the text size. And uh, making text bigger. So for instance, for the mail program, it makes things bigger, and it does not integrate it into all apps. But I've got a couple apps that so, that have a really minimum support for it. And because of that, you can make certain text bigger, make it easier to read. Um, is that with some apps, that app the text gets bigger, and then it just it isn't visible anymore. It gets too big, and it's not visible anymore because the developer has not. Written into their code to accommodate the fact that the fonts gonna get bigger because you can do that in the accessibility API I can go in and say, you know This is the max this box is only so big and it's only gonna be this big So font should never get bigger than this because once it gets too big It's not visible and it's not usable to anybody and I want it to only get this big and then at that point Maybe magnification would work. So that means when I'm designing my UI uh, I need to think about the fact that even though I have my preferred font. I have my preferred size the user might have needs that require that font to be larger, and I can accommodate my design to to work that way. Now, if you're already thinking about UI changing depending on use, you're already thinking the same way that you might develop an app that works on both the iPhone and the iPad, where the UI is going to be different because the screen's going to change. And so the way you would think about handling an iPhone to an iPad app is actually not that much different than how you would think about handling Dynamic type for in iOS, and therefore it is a design choice. It is part of the design process. It's an accessibility feature, but it belongs in the design when you're learning design. So that's my selling point. And maybe I mean I really do seriously think that accessibility features, in one way or another, every almost everybody in their life is going to use at some point. And so ignoring it and saying that it's not enough people is it's not true. I don't think.
1: That's why you're an Nexus Ninja.
0: <laughs> so, and I do, I want to point out, because some of these things that they talk about in the resolution have things that you've actually told me before, and I thought were really interesting and are really important for both developers and users to understand. There's one particular one I want you to comment on, Rachel. Uh, and that is, um, uh, they say... Uh, if a current version of an application is inaccessible to a blind voiceover user, (laughs) there is no policy or procedure or mechanism to ensure that accessibility will be maintained when subsequent versions are released. Specifically, they're referring to app updates. That's never happened to you before, has it? Has an app been accessible and stopped being accessible almost unexplainably in a software update?
1: Never. Never. Alright. Sarcasm hit here and stayed. All right, yeah, you know that, right? <laughs> I think I remember one time I came to work and um, and I showed you Netflix, and I had just flipped on it because I could use Netflix super well, and then I, you know, updated it, and boom, like I could no longer like when I flick with my finger through, you know, one of so voiceover you can either drag or flick, and to to navigate, and I I was flicking it and no longer I could I could hear everything but because they went to this kind of like one squeeze kind of page style right? I could no longer um, use the change page uh, kind of feature and so I could hear all the movies that were out there beyond the page the beyond the, the, the visible um, buttons in the page but I could never like uh, choose them because the flicking wouldn't move forward to the you know to the elements that were kind of outside of the screen and i remember that was the first time you taught me how to cheat remember
0: oh yeah yeah what, what did i have you do i had you turn off voiceover oh, would, and then swipe and then turn, and then turn it back on again.
1: yeah we yeah. would swipe like to to adjust the page but i mean this it's totally inefficient right so it doesn't go through rachel's accessibility rating right so it's totally cheating I mean it helped me not be as frustrated but yeah of course like it's totally ridiculous and it hasn't been solved yet and this is still a problem on the Netflix app in fact I try to go talk to the Netflix guys there at the OSCOM but um, I didn't have time so I didn't find them um, so it happens and it's because their um, their app was accessible but they weren't aware that it was accessible So I'm with the NFB in the sense that we need to have some kind of, um, you know, little stamp or whatever. But the problem that I see here is how are we going to evaluate, right? And that, and here it's selling point again. Maybe it's the fact that I've been speaking in this the whole week. But, I mean, we got to use my method because there's nothing out there right now to really evaluate in a consistent way of how you know, you decide if that app is accessible and what level of accessibility it has because they all have different levels of accessibility. And I think the user should at least have the right to know of what level of accessibility they are at so you can decide if you want to buy the app or not. Well, remember when I bought uh, OmniFocus? So 20 bucks, right? I put 20 bucks in this awesome app I can read almost everything except for the most important thing that the app does which is to read what is my tasks and actions and reminders so you know it happens all the time and and unfortunately the refunding uh, policies are not very easy and you know Sometimes I just feel like, instead of buying, just calling an app developer and saying, hey, give me a code, I'll try it out. If you don't know if it's accessible or not, if it's good, I'll buy it. But if it's not, I'll just trash it. And and yeah, I think it's important to know, but I'm not sure we would ever be able to, well, we will be able to get to the level that all apps are accessible, right? That's what my mission in life is, to make a better accessible world. You too, right, Jonathan? Of course. (laughs) Okay, but the thing is, right now, what can we do right now to start improving? It's to have some kind of rating. So I actually know, is it accessible or not? Is it labeled or not? Like, is it somewhat usable or not? You know, um, there is this app called the, what's their name? Sleep, sleep something pillow, I think I have it here in my app and it makes like little you know nice white noise sounds for you to go to sleep and I can go around the whole app except for changing um, the sound and to actually play and pause so uh, then I cheat again but that you know I do that so much so I did that for maybe four weeks and even though I think the app is awesome I stopped using but of course it was a, the free version and I never unlocked the rest of the sounds because it was not accessible. And another example was Camcard. I love that app. Um, it was the the only business card scanner that worked really well and had robust features. So I bought it. Probably cost me, I don't know, six dollars. And, and it was really good. And then they did some update. And half of the functionality went away, and that's because they were accessible by chance, not by awareness. So I think that we really need to change that. We really need to make sure.
0: And I think what that. our listeners need to know is that you know, VoiceOver gives you a lot of accessibility for free. As developers say, when you when you do certain things, when you add like a text box uh, in an app, you get for free. You get you know you get uh, spell check and things like that for free. And when you create a button on a a typical everyday button, that button is pretty accessible. VoiceOver can read it, there's a little in the developer tool, there's a little box you can type in an alternate name or it just puts in whatever the name of the the button is. And so developers can create an app uh, using a simple user interface and it can just happen to be accessible. But then you get ambitious and you start creating your own custom buttons and UI and all these new labels so you get this particular look that you want and that's when accessibility gets a little bit more complicated because you need to custom elements need to be assigned certain accessibility um, aspects to it in the accessibility API and that's so that's how it become, goes from Hey, I, I'm a beginning developer. I wrote a simple app. It's really great. It's really elegant, and it works with voiceover. And then I upgrade it with some cool stuff so I can get it to look just the you know a certain specific way I want it to look. And then I break everything, and you don't even realize that you've just put people out. And like this, uh, like this resolution says, you know, in a in a workplace environment, when you update your app what do you do that's an app you use for work and all of a sudden you lose, an access- you lose accessibility and there's no way to go back really easily
1: and so it goes back to what we're talking about it's part of the design process when you're redesigning and making it cool when you're upgrading it if we take care of that as you're doing it it saves you a lot of money time and it keeps your customers happy
0: I think where the the line hits for this resolution, the things where things get a little gray, is th- their statement that Apple is not reluctant to place requirements and prohibitions on application developers. I don't. I know that Apple's got a lot of restrictions as far as you know content. Well,
1: you're barriers. you're an app developer for Apple, so you should know that.
0: Yeah, I know about the requirements in there. I wouldn't say that they ever put a requirement down lightly. I don't well, think. and I
1: you know. and I think and I think any person that works for open source will laugh about that.
0: <laughs> so people people might disagree with me, but uh, I think I don't think they take any of these requirements lightly. But there's there's this gray area, right? Because we want these applications should be accessible, and Apple goes out of their way to make tools give. Developers' tools. If you the Worldwide Developer Conference that recently happened, you can download for free uh, all of their um, their sessions. They have long sessions to talk about why accessibility is important, how you do it, how you uh, label uh, custom UI elements. Uh, It's very tech. You know they get very technical. They show specific examples. They build a game and show you how to make it make sure it's accessible. They go to great lengths to make these things available and these knowledge base. Uh, for developers they don't combine which i think the ideal is, is adding accessibility into teaching ui they don't merge the two as much but they do supply and this resolution talks about this they go to great lengths to make these tools as easy to use and to supply as much support as they can but does that mean that these accessibility features are a requirement of getting your app in the app store is that too far? And I think one of the arguments would be that I mean, right now there's on the Android platform. We go to the, we go to the other platform there, and they've got tools for accessibility, not not as robust as as iOS, but they've got tools as well. Um, but Google's approval process is pretty much letting everything into the App Store and then t- removing things after the fact, right? So, in a competitive marketplace, is it fair for Apple to? Put this requirement when we've got a developer community that's not ready for it. They should be made ready for it, but they're not ready for it. To put a requirement, and say, "Hey, you can't get you can't get your app here," but on the other platforms, you can. It should Apple be the only person who does this, or should they be the leading person? That should they start the trend?
1: Well, I think that is a very complicated topic. Yes. But as a developer and as a designer, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. And, I mean, you know, being at Ascom, why is all those people there? Why do they do open source? They do open source because it's open, right? It's not full of restrictions. And and Apple is already pounced on all the time for being a proprietary closed system, right? So, and, you know, I'm an Apple lover through and through. Will never deny it. And... um but I also understand in like open source in many cases. So here's what happens. I don't think I have the right as a blind person to tell a designer or a developer what they have to do. I really don't think that's my right because my right starts where your right is being infringed upon, right? And And I believe also in aesthetics. So I really think that we can't, it shouldn't be a requirement. It should be a built in, again, process. Accessibility, if it is built in on the design process, we don't need to require because it will be something that will happen. Now, could we, require like you know could we ask Apple to require a accessibility check and developers to disclaim their accessibility levels sure I think that's totally fair you know and some people will say oh that's because you're trying to push this rating system whatever but regardless of what it is like I think that is fair to ask Because it's fair for me to know, should I pay 20 bucks for this app? Should I pay 10 bucks for this app or not? Because I buy a lot of apps. And to say the truth, I've spent over $400 on apps that are wasted, right? So, sure, I'm cool with it, but let's not not create restrictions and rules where you know where we might create development and design constraints that are not necessary to create accessibility
0: I also think for developers I mean there's two folds to accessibility that they need to know about one is that I do think strongly that a application or tool that's designed for accessibility is a better product in general for everybody to use and that it will give the it'll make them the best product they possibly could make and that's what they all deep down they want to make the best product the other end of it too is i think if people understood the issues they understood the user base that uses it they would they would want to make it develop the accessible and i think we're going to get a lot better experience and a lot better design apps because you know what happens when you put a when you put an absolute restriction on you get people doing the minimum the exact minimum they need to do it in order to 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 reach that point
1: we're already there right
0: we're there but we're not I mean there's not a requirement this question whether should it be a requirement but I think that if we make accessibility part of learning design and we if we create awareness about how tools accessibility tools make a better product and make it better for a wider audience there are people worry about money and time and I think if we show that it is actually worth uh, the investment and the time because it, it broadens your audience and it makes the product better for everybody that, that we won't be having this argument anymore.
1: Amen. No more arguments. Let's just do it.
0: So the last thing I want to uh, address with the resolution and then I want to get into emoji because that's fun and I'm sick of talking about all this drama. But the last thing I, I want to talk about is uh, the their resolution. The resolution itself. Because they talk about um, and they do a great job in this resolution. You wouldn't think from this Reuter article that, that they had acknowledged Apple's amazing progress in accessibility. You would have think that, that Apple's just doing a horrible job in accessibility and people were upset. But uh, they address that, but they, the resolution is about this is that Apple should work with the National Federation for the Blind to create and enforce policy standards and procedures to ensure accessibility of all apps um well i think that apple should uh work and create policies it's it's the and maybe this is the maybe this is the way the national federation for the blind resolutions work but I, I feel like they're saying that that apple it's not so much that apple needs to add these but that apple needs to needs to list has the national federation for the blind tell them and coordinate with them how to do it Correct. Right. And, and and
1: and that's that's where i think it needs to draw the line because it says Okay, work with the National Federation for the Blind on this, but how? How are they going to work together? You know, I mean, how? You know, are they going to provide people to do user testing all the way through, and for every single app? I mean, this—it's a great idea, and I—I I, like again, I—I I, I applaud them from doing it, but I think that this problem is a design problem it's a development problem and we need to solve it not just from a user standpoint but we really need to solve it with technical methods and um... sure we will also need the users and i you know i really think i would put a call in action out there to create users you know to help create this uh, demand for a uh, design process and user testing but not for um, you know telling how we going to run because like I said again accessibility is not just blindness so if we're gonna tackle this it can't just be the National Federation for the Blind there is a series of other there is the dyslexic for all and there is uh, you know there's the 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 different uh, autism speaks and all that. So if we're gonna tackle as an accessibility issue, accessibility is not just screen readers. I mean, of course, that's what I speak the most because that's the one I live. But there's other things in terms of accessibility. There is, you know, uh, non-native speakers. There's people with cognitive issues. yeah,
0: there's illiteracy. Uh, dy- 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 dyslexia, it's dysgraphia, me, colorblind. I mean, there's there's a lot, right? You're, you made a very well, good point.
1: Dyscalcula. This this cal- word. Yeah, dyscalcula. Cal- yeah, cal- c- yeah. So, I mean, if we're gonna... Uh, you know, you're opening a whole can of worms right there. If, you know, we're all going to do it. So I really think that we need to create some kind of a coalition or some kind of a user coalition that can aid developers and designers um, you know get better at improving their accessibility but to to make that happen accessibility needs to be part of the design process there's not another way to make it work and to make sure that's not an access that not an expensive thing and there's not a retrofit because retrofits never work well
0: what I find most fascinating about this whole thing, and the reason why I wanted us, or why we wanted to talk about this, uh, was that, uh, especially when I've read the resolution, is somehow to the news, this resolution, which was more of a, here's some issues, and you know we'd, we'd like to coordinate to, to talk about um, how we can make this better, it somehow turned into, we, sh- we, need, we would like them to have a conversation with us to somehow a threat which is what I don't think the National Federation for the Blind was, was ever making. I mean, they did, in the Reuters article, there was one person they talked to who was a member who they asked them if they would consider legal action against Apple, and then they said, um, uh, well, here, let me see if I can bring up... Um, uh, here. Here's here's exactly. They talked to uh, um, um, Michael Hingson, who said, it's time for Apple to step up, or we will take the next step. And... Uh, said Michael Hickson, board member for the National Association of the Blind's California chapter, describing litigation as the only resort if Apple does not bring accessibility requirements to the App Store. The resolution does, doesn't talk about litigation or anything like that. It isn't even a threat. It's more like a, these are some issues that are of great concern and we'd like them addressed. He made it turn into like though we're going to sue them unless we get exactly what we want. And what we want is, uh, a, a, you know, a rule to require accessibility if they don't do it, then it's the only thing we can do is sue them. And I I, I think that's somehow that got turned into there's this giant threat against Apple and and that's really not what this was all about in the first place. It was like I said, the article brings up really good points that and I I I think it's unfortunate that it got turned into an adversarial thing for some reason.
1: I think that's it's just an it's just an escalation and you know, we need journalists that check their facts better. And and it's more than that, it, it really is, you know, I mean, when has litigation solved anything? And it really bothers me too, that people are kind of pouncing on Apple because, okay, they did accessibility happen and they are so responsive every time that a request is made. I don't understand why We're creating this, like, action against Apple. It's not Apple. It's the third-party developers, and and you know, and it's not. It's also not a developer's fault. It. it, What are we going to give to developers, to make this happen? It is the question. It's not. It's not about reinforcing and coming in, walking in the room, and saying, you know what? Here, get it done. I mean, I was with developers from all over the world this week and there are a bunch of wonderful people you know it it's not people are not doing stuff just to exclude anybody it's just more a lack of awareness and a lack of tool so let's develop tools that you know can help developers be better it's not about just creating like a rule say hey here it is i mean i'm gonna tell you i hate when an update an app or that's why i have two devices so i can update in one device and then if it go bunks i don't do it in the other one you know maybe it's a matter of being able to backtrack your apps like one version before you know that's that's kind of the thinking i think we need to go to and so at least while you know while something is happening crazy in the other app, I have some time to continue performing and working with that developer to change, you know, the lack of accessibility. But it's it's not a matter of just telling you what to do. I mean, Flexi, when they updated something with Bunks and then they created uh, Flexi VO, you know, so it could continue to work. But you know, I did feel at first like, okay, this is weird. You're making a Flexi and then a Flexi Vo, and how do I know that Flexi doesn't have more features than Flexi Vo and et cetera, You know?
0: And just for clarification, but, Flexi is a uh, keyboarding app uh, designed originally specifically for for blind users,
1: which became pretty hot in for the non-blind users. So now we have Flexi and we have FlexiView. Thanks, yes. thanks for reminding everyone what Flexi is, Jonathan. I, well, I,
0: I remember correctly. I downloaded Flexi because I heard it was a great keyboard for the blind. And I started using it. And I was like, oh, this should be everyone's keyboard. This oh, is great. Isn't it amazing? Because there's no space yeah. bar in Flexi. You swipe to do a space. And the first time I did that, I was like, oh, yes, this is, this is correct. I like this. Anyways.
1: Well, so that is it. All right well, for let's, our news update.
0: All right, so and that's a you know this is a very big issue and I think that we'll probably tackle tackle different areas of this throughout the podcast and, and future episodes, maybe talking a, a little bit from you know the development side and and since a lot of it's going to be about design and accessibility and we'll talk about it in more detail basically. But let's talk about something a little bit more fun. Let's talk about emoji.
1: Emoji is how my computer reads
0: it emoji or how do you how does your computer say
1: it it says emoji
0: emoji oh maybe oh i'm now i'm gonna have to look that up i'm gonna be curious to see if there's a proper pronunciation for it but so emoji and we talked about it at the very beginning is basically these little pictures that you can put inside your text of different things and they go anywhere from smiley faces to People dancing to alien faces to
1: fireworks,
0: fireworks, and it became really, really popular uh, in Japan, uh, where it was a you could send a quick emoji to express um, emotion, uh, to express an attitude, something that is lost in a purely text world and expressed through these pictures, and. A lot of uh, mobile devices, like the iPhone, has an emoji keyboard that you can use. Uh, So does Android, so does Windows. And what's. That
1: I can use.
0: Absolutely. And what's interesting about these, the reason we want to talk about emoji on an accessibility podcast is a couple things. Is the Huffington Post, and we'll link to it uh, in the the post uh, for this podcast, but the Huffington Post has an article called How Emoji get lost in translation because although you might send an emoji that's of a person dancing for example there's an emoji on the iphone and it's this woman in this uh doing this dancing pose and this red dress that's flowing back uh as she makes her move that's what it looks like on your iphone but that's
1: like a flamingo dance isn't
0: it actually yeah it's, it's exactly it's a flamingo dancer Uh, But if you send that to somebody and they get on their Android phone, it looks like a man in a suit almost doing this John Travolta, staying Alive pose, like a disco pose. And on Windows, it looks like somebody almost like they're doing ballet. It's a very different type of form of dance. And there's another one that looks like uh, it's kind of an, an Elvis figure. So what it means is that when you send an emoji icon from one person to another, uh it may not look exactly the same because each of those platforms have a different artist who generates their emoji. But what it, how does it look like to a screen reader if I send you a picture of what looks like a uh a a flamingo dancer? What does it say uh on your iPhone Rachel, when when your voice voiceover reads it?
1: Uh I actually would have to have you send it to me if you made know, but I think it says, uh, I think it says Flamingo Dancer or Women Dancing, something like that.
0: Uh, and you'll notice there's some particularly odd uh, emoji as well. There's woman, uh, woman with bunny ears is one. (laughs) Uh, uh, and I think, I haven't
1: seen that one.
0: (laughs) So there, there's a variety of these. And so
1: is that the, is that the playboy lady? Maybe
0: it kind of looks like, well, on Apple, it's these two, uh, these two women, uh, sitting next to each other. It looks like they got black leotards on and they've got these, uh, black colored, uh, bunny ears. And they're both doing like, like a one foot kick. Like they're in like, like they're in a, a line of dancers. Uh, uh, and so it's a woman with, woman with bunny ears is, is what it's formally called. So when you send an emoji uh, to somebody who's using a uh, an iPhone and they're using their screen reader, uh, it will actually put the description uh, or what the official title of the emoji is. And what's interesting is that you might be surprised. You might end up sending a message that doesn't quite convey the exact same meaning as you thought you were.
1: Well, to me, a bunny girl is a bunny girl. <laughs> so But but I think for example on the dancing one, you know, that sending totally different I think messages, you know? Because I mean flamenco I think you know it's more like a belly dancing and something more I don't know, exotic I don't know, maybe sexy. <laughs> but um no, that's not the word. Maybe hot, right? But then um, John Travolta, it, to me, it's more like you know, more eighties kind of retro, right? And you know, it's more like grease. I don't know. And then uh, you know, if you get Elvis, it's more like to me, it feels like sixties, more crazy, crazy drug dancing, right? And then she sent me a ballerina, now I'm thinking of something more classy, traditional. So, you know, which one is it? You know, if you send somebody dancing because, like, I don't know, like, oh, let's go partying tonight, and right? And you send a woman dancing. I mean, that would speak to very different types of parties that you want to go to.
0: I'll give, you a, I'll give you another example. There's one called Information Desk Person. And Information Desk Person is represented on, uh, on the iPhone as a woman in a pink shirt holding a hand up uh, like she's holding a tray. There's no tray there but like if you imagine like the way a waiter or a waitress would hold a serving tray which is their hand up but their palm flat straight up in the air. Uh, and that's yes, information how I carry plates. And, and, and as a sighted person and not knowing what that's called, I would see that and it's like someone holding up. It almost like, you know, it's like a one hand raise the roof dance move. Right. So I might use that being like hey, raise the roof. Uh, and uh, what
1: does that mean? Actually, I don't know. Raising the roof, raising the
0: roof, is like if you're if like if you're at a party and everyone puts their hands up together, like, hey, put your hands up in the air. They call it raising the roof because it's like you're pushing the roof up above you. You're pushing oh, it higher, so it's gotcha. like, but it's it's a, it's a call out that like uh, a singer would do for everyone to put their hands up to get involved in the song. You can tell i a clubber, right? Because of the way I describe this. It's like a singer's call out, like, everyone, please put their hands in the air. Yeah, I'm not much of a cupping person, but...
1: Um, yeah, you're totally a
0: clubber. But, like, visually, I might go, oh, this person's raising the roof. So I send this to you, Rachel, and you get information desk person.
1: Now... <laughs> yeah, that would definitely not translate to raising the roof to me. I'll be like, what?
0: So there, there's two things I want to, I want to address, here. With the emoji? One is I want to give people a resource so that everybody uh, can understand these emoji a little bit better uh, and get excited because they're going to add, I think, a, a ton of new emoji uh, this year. Uh, Unicode 7, which is uh, a nonprofit that oversees um, various font issues, uh, is uh, coordinated with Apple and Google and Microsoft to launch a bunch of new emoji. And so there's going to be a, a ton new added, which is kind of fun. But um, And uh, I wanted to be able to share a resource so that everybody could see what these uh, emojis are called and kind of see what they would look like from one platform to another. So when they're using it, they maybe be a little conscious about the different platforms people are using and uh, when sharing emoji with friends using screen readers. Um, And there's a great resource for this. Uh, There's a website, and we'll link to it in the episode notes, uh, called emojipedia.org. So it's Emoji, E-M-O-J-I, then pedia, P-E-D-I-A dot org. And Emojipedia, you can actually browse and look through the different emoji. It will tell you what its formal name is, which is at least what voiceover will use uh, when when you're reading it. And then it will show you what it looks like on different platforms. And it's uh, what I was very pleasantly... Uh, uh, not surprised. Surprise is not the right word, but I was I was hopeful, and it became true that the Emojipedia is actually very screen reader friendly. Uh, they have a nice skip to main content, so after you do a search and the page refreshes, you can skip to the actual information if you're on a screen reader, uh, and um, and, a, and it's very very useful. And they have a list of all the emoji that are going to be new. You want you want to hear some of these new emoji? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to pick some out. These are at random. There's I think 150 that they're adding or so um so here's a fun one okay so i mentioned earlier dove of peace is gonna like be added. dove of peace is um uh let's say i don't have a full description of that one yet um one of them was particularly weird uh i told katie about uh katie, my wife about it. i was like white sun uh, and like white sun, like sun in the sky, S-U-N, because they also have a white sun with small clouds, white sc- sun behind clouds. Um, they have a uh, black droplet. No piracy is going to be one. I'm curious what that's going to look like on the different platforms.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: So there's tons of these and you can find them all on Emojipedia.org. Org, and you can search the existing emojis and get the descriptions and see what they look like on different platforms. So it's a, a, great, uh, a great site uh, unicode.org um, that's unicode.org uh, has uh, resources and descriptions of uh, what these new emoji are going to look like as well. Uh, Emojipedia is just a little bit more pleasant to search for if you're looking for just a single uh, emoji reference really quick. So, emoji are fun. They're different pictures, but we should be aware of how they are depicted to different, how they might be depicted to different users depending on platform and the way they're accessing them. Because also, text-to-speech will also read these by their description as well. But how do we write with emoji? Well, I've got two quick shortcuts for you that I really like. I wanted to use emoji on my iPhone. Do you do you use the emoji keyboard on your um, On your iPhone in general, Rachel? Yes, I do. On the iPhone, at least, if you go into the Settings app uh, and then you uh, go to uh, General, in the General section, there's a a section for Keyboard, uh, and you'll get all your keyboard setting options. There is actually a type of keyboard options. You can choose actually your language choice. So if you're a Spanish speaker and you want to use the Spanish keyboard on the iPhone, you can do that. Uh, But if you go and you can add a new keyboard, Emoji is one of the keyboards. And when you add it through the Settings app, whenever you you have the keyboard available to you, you're going to see a button in the bottom left corner. It's the second one from the left. Uh, It looks like a globe almost, like a, but it's like an outline of a sphere. What, what does it say when you when you navigate that to the on the iPhone with voiceover? Do you remember what that what it actually what the voiceover calls that button?
1: Uh which one? Like the when you the, want to the, ch- the keyboard itself?
0: Yeah, when you want to change from one keyboard to the next.
1: Oh, it just says the name of the keyboard. So in the Spanish will say it's actually it would say español.
0: Espanol. And then
1: and then the Portuguese will say
0: Portuguese.
1: And then um so anyway, so then when it gets to the emoji, it says
0: emoji, emoji, uh, yeah. and then you'll well, you'll see all the symbols and they're categorized into groups. And so that's the easiest way to do it on the iPhone. I found a really easy way of doing it if you're on a Mac. Actually, if if you're on a Mac, most not all pro not all um, Applications allow this shortcut, but most of them do, the vast majority of them do, is if you are uh, typing on the computer and uh, if you press the command and control buttons together and press the space bar, it opens up uh, what's called the character viewer. The character viewer contains uh, emoji, uh, but also other symbols as well, uh, and uncommon symbols like Greek symbols available as well. Character palette, close button.
1: Oh, sorry. I was trying to bring it up. Oh, that's all right. And it, have the people listen.
0: If you are doing it with, uh, with VoiceOver, when you bring up that, uh, that uh, you press the control option space, you bring up that menu, you have to uh, VO shift down to interact with it or you can't really navigate. You have to interact with it before you can navigate it. So that'll allow you to write emoji on your uh, Mac really, really easily. Um, Sweet. So those are two is. quick shortcuts. Now, emojis, uh an iOS 8. Emoji uh, will be more integrated into the operating system, so you won't have to go and manually turn it on. It will actually just be available uh, as a button on the regular keyboard uh, because Emoji has been so popular, they know people are going to want to use it all the time, so they made it really easy and available. So Yeah, I wish
1: it was like a little just, uh, you know, button on the corner that I could click every time I want it so I don't have to bring up the because actually right now when the switch keyboard i have to press and hold and then a menu pops up and then i have all my keyboards but it would be super cool if the emoji is just one button you press and the emoji keyboard comes on and then you choose and then ready
0: yeah for those of us who write just one language uh, it's pretty easy. I just tap that button. I can flip it across. But I know you've got a couple languages down, so you probably switch between keyboards all the time.
1: Yeah, I do. Otherwise, it keeps otherwise it keeps doing spell check for English, and then it's not very cool.
0: So, uh, Rachel, from your perspective, I, I use emoji just occasionally, just to be silly with my wife or uh, or, or so, so some friends. Um, how do you? How does emoji fit into your writing?
1: Yeah, I think... I do emoji mainly just with my friends, with you, and and also my husband. But it's mainly just, um... You know, to convey the same ideas, but because I don't know exactly how people are going to decode them, yeah, definitely don't use it with clients, or... I don't know. I, I it's, it's mainly for my closer... Um, I guess, relationships. Although, I'm starting to use a lot... I mean, I'm starting to introduce a lot of, you know, smiley, and I'm getting a little more risque with uh, maybe emoji on Twitter. But I haven't... So far, I've just been doing smileys and winks. and um, So, but I'm planning to to start moving on and start doing... And actually, today, I saw somebody that used the the airplane emoji and he tweeted that so um so i think i think it's gonna become more and more part of my uh social media as i become you know more comfortable and and less afraid of how they look like
0: and i think those of you who have um maybe not used emoji before or haven't seen these emoji characters um any screen readers out there who are uh who are interested in in using emoji, but are a little worried about uh, the messages they're conveying. I think going to emojipedia.org and uh, if you have run across an emoji that you want to use, you found it and you're like, well, what exactly does this symbol uh, look like? Because for instance, like school satchel is one. Uh, You can get an actual proper description of it on emojipedia.org. So for instance, school satchel is a school bag emoji Used by children attending school carrying lunch uh, or other personal belongings, the color of this emoji varies by platform: red on iOS, orange on Android.
1: Well, that is a very Japanese thing because you use satchels to take it to school, like lunches and bentos and stuff. So, you know that that's where that's where you see the Japanese culture coming through, you know, seeping through, which is kind of cool. Well. Especially for me, being a half Japanese, right?
0: That's right. Well, you know, there's one. Here's here's another very Japanese one here: carp streamer. And it's a picture of it looks like a flagpole with two fish hanging off of it. And if I if I go to the emojipedia, it tells me carp-shaped wind socks, traditionally flown in Japan to celebrate Children's Day. Ah. Yes. So I think I think that people will find. Emojipedia particularly useful, uh, not just for people who haven't seen them before, or screen readers who want to know what these pictures are in more detail, but also uh, for those of us who are not sure why is there a picture of a flagpole with fish eating it. I can actually look at (laughs) it like, oh, windsocks, it's a holiday thing. Okay, it makes sense now.
1: I think there's also, I think there was one with uh, cherry blossoms. I can't remember because I think that's on the nature and I use mainly people or or animals.
0: Oh well, there there is one literally just called cherry blossom.
1: Right. So
0: it's a pretty light pink flower in bloom. Which is so pretty. There's one other type of thing I've been working on with Emoji that I, I've been considering doing, although I got so used to doing that shortcut now on my Mac which is the, that control command space to bring up the character viewer really quickly. Um, I started using that, but before that I was experimenting with text expansion. And I've used that from time to time uh, for things I can't when I can't remember. And you can actually set up, if you use a program like text Expander or Typeinator, these are applications that allow you to Set it on the computer so when you type something like a short, a shorthand for something like that, it expands it into something longer. So I could say uh, instead of having to type "cu" later every time, I could put in uh, "syl" and whenever I type "syl," it expands to "cu" later. I did this with a couple of emoji. So I would type in. Uh, I used "z" as a shortcut to let me know that when I'm typing this in, it's, it's always a shortcut, and I put in. Z, cherry blossom, it, and it will put a cherry blossom in for me. And I know that's a lot of typing for one character, but it saves me from having to uh, have to hit control, command, space, and then find it in the menu. And if I'm going to use that a lot, it's not a bad idea to use a tool like a text expander program to, uh, to take your favorite emoji and make it so you can type it out really quickly without having to do a bunch of uh, shortcuts.
1: I love it. So you just copied and pasted the emoji on the content?
0: Yeah. So I just um, so I use Text Expander specifically. I would ju- I opened up Text Expander. I said create a new Text Expander snippet, and then I actually just brought up the emoji keyboard and typed the emoji I wanted into the uh, expansion area, and then on the text and the um, the expansion text I just wrote. I mean not the expansion text in the um, uh, in the snippet I'm supposed to write. I just wrote the word and I put an abbreviation in front of it so I could differentiated. So for me it was just the letter Z then the name of the the name or a shortcut name for the emoji.
1: Sweet. I love it.
0: I'm going to this is going to be great. I'm going to be like in my 80s and I'm going to be typing a bunch of like whatever the new emoji is back then and make all the young people roll their eyes.
1: Are you already thinking about when you're 80? Wow.
0: Got to think long term.
1: I cannot even think about when I'm going to be 40 okay so that is all about emoji and i hope you all enjoy please comment if you are screen you either user for windows or um or linux let us know how it sounds because i did not go check on the emojis in windows Again, everybody's talking about iOS accessibility. How about Mac accessibility? It's awesome. Can't wait for Yosemite to be fully implemented.
0: There's some cool things in Yosemite and and we'll we'll talk about Yosemite in detail probably in a, in a future episode, but um, and I we mentioned it before, but Apple's got an entirely new accessibility API for developers, so hopefully we'll see some better accessibility there. So and just so you know, um uh as of this taping, uh, the public beta for Yosemite is now available to anybody who would like to try it. Uh, you can actually download the beta version uh, of Yosemite uh, through, the, uh, through Apple's website and they download it right through the App Store. Uh, although word of warning, it is beta software so we do not recommend you install it on your main working machine. If you cannot afford to have certain software not work, or for things to crash on you, we, so it's it's a fun thing. It's uh, usually reserved for developers, but now everybody else can have it. If you've got a second computer that you want to try it on, it's be a good geek
1: idea. thing to do.
0: Yeah. So if you ever wanted to try out the new beta software, get a preview. You know, install it on an old computer.
1: If you want to geek out with us, embrace your nerdum. Go for it. But you can always make a partition.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) If
1: you're going to geek out, at least geek out intelligently.
0: Yeah, be safe. Back up. Beta is beta.
1: Tell me about it. Back it up. All right. Well, I need to go to my WordPress meetup to meet all the awesome people for the WordCamp. But it was super nice. And I'm so glad we're in episode two. Give us feedback. Let us know what you would want to hear more about or less about. And we will try to comply.
0: Absolutely. And if you found us on iTunes and you enjoyed the podcast, please take a moment to uh, write us uh, a, nice, uh, a nice review. We'd really appreciate it. It'd help us get the word about, out about accessibility. If you don't like it or you do have problems or there are any suggestions you have for the future, please email us at feedback at access.ninja. That's feedback at access.ninja.